My name is Dustin Kelly, but everybody calls me DJ. I'm prior army, serving as both a Ford observer and a military police officer. I spent the last 14 and a half years as a police officer and detective in a large metropolitan police department. Two things that I've learned throughout my career. One, everybody has a story to tell. And two, the best stories are true. This is the DTD Podcast. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, and we're live. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DTD Podcast. This week in the studio, a man who spent six years as a Navy SEAL until a horrific accident ended his career. My guest spent years trying rehabilitation, new scientific procedures, meditation, medicines, and pretty much anything that promised to help the injuries that we could see and the ones that were deeper that we could not see. My guest has been on a roller coaster of ups and downs since medically retired from the service, but that's not where this story ends. My guest has risen through the ashes and has started the second chapter of his life that at one point he was not sure was possible. He started Mac Belts with $50, a friend's garage, and the spirit that would not give up or bow out. Fast forward, his company now serves over 1,500 customers and is the go-to belt provider for active duty military, veterans, industrial workers, first responders, and a growing number of outdoorsmen. His company has given tens of thousands of dollars to veterans charities and has current partnerships with Vet TV, Defense Strategy Group, Gallagher Holdings, and Guardian Grange. I'm so happy and proud that this guest chose here to tell his story for the first time. I am proud to introduce you to my friend and the best leather craftsman in the business, Mac McKinnon. How are you? Hey, DJ. I'm good. How are you? That was a fantastic intro brother i appreciate that oh thank you so much uh anyway we have a lot to talk about i'm so glad that you came on here i'm so glad that we get to talk and and just go over everything because i've told you from the beginning your story is so amazing to me and just the things that you've been through how you've come out of them and how you've just kind of excelled on the back side of it as always let's start with your youth and let's talk about kind of growing up what you were thinking headed towards, you know, being a teenager and then getting into manhood. And, you know, did you come from a military family? What put you on this path? Absolutely. It's a great question. So I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and I was raised by a single mother. My uh, dad uh, and my mother were divorced when I was pretty young. So it was really just me and my mom and uh, my two sisters. And I think that's kind of where I adopted kind of the idea of being a protector. You know, when you don't have uh, a man in the house as a young, young, young man, you become that that guy. Right. So I was very protective of my mother, very protective of my sisters. And um, so, yeah, uh, my youth was kind of because I was raised by a single mom. I had a lot of time left to myself. And for a lot of young guys, that can be. not a good thing, right? So I was getting in a lot of trouble at a young age and, um, you know, I, I really didn't have a relationship with my with my father and my mom was always kind of in and out of marriages. There was always a new guy in the picture, even though, you know, uh, we didn't always get along. But 
uh, I kind of got this idea to be a teenage, uh, to be a te seal when I was in high school. And for me, you know, it was about like every young guy out there wanting to prove if you could, if you could really, uh, do something like that, right? If you could be somebody special, right? I think every man is kind of on this search for meaning. And I think we feel that with, with titles and accomplishments and those kinds of things. But I really looked up to the SEAL teams just because I had a really, really distant relative that was in there and I kind of always heard stories. Um, but it was really the idea of becoming a team guy that in the discipline required to prepare for something like that, that kind of as a young kid pulled me out of that, you know, kind of getting in trouble. And I, you know, I can't do these things if that's what I want to, if that's eventually the career path that I want to go down and just, you know, prepping and swimming and push-ups and working out and staying out of trouble and all those things, um, you know, really kind of are, is what got me going in that direction. Well, you know, when you talk about that, and there's been a lot of guys on the show that talk about kind of being fatherless and kind of having to take up that role as the protector of the house, not, not necessarily the father, but the protector of the house and kind of watching over everyone and everyone's done. Now, with some guys that makes them super angry about it and they, they turn it into something else. Some guys it's okay with them because it kind of teaches them early in life to kind of stay out of that limelight or stay out of trouble with you. And you saying you have a lot of spare time on your hands. What, what kind of trouble are we talking about? You know, where you kind of focus because it seems like your whole life you've been kind of headed towards this and you've always been kind of motivated and even talking to your old teammates, they say the same thing. So what was it about being a kid that, that really stood out to you? About uh, being in the SEAL teams? No, just about like where you were at in life because it was kind of thrust upon you being the man of the house and stuff without you really asking for that. So I'm kind of trying to get your mental state of where you're at because I think it, it sells a lot for later on in life. Yeah, yeah. Um you know, for me, I guess my mental state at the time was, uh, I mean, it was, it was, there was a lot of pressure, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, just to kind of fill the void that wasn't there. Um, and yeah, I guess you kind of, it, it forces you to grow up early. Right. Um, right. And because, you know, when I say like, um, you know, my raised by a single mother, you know, in reality, too, I pretty much kind of raised myself, right? I was a natural protector. But, you know, for me, starting at a young age, it was like, if I wanted to eat dinner, like I had to cook myself dinner, right? If I wanted to, you know, I'd have to walk to the grocery store, or I would, you know, it was just it, my mother was doing the best that she could, right? right. Um, but, uh, I still had to, my, my older sister definitely helped raise me a lot. And then, but for me, it was kind of, um, just, yeah, kind of fend for yourself if you catch my drift. Yeah. And, and the reason I asked that question is because when you look back on it now, do you think that it helped you along the way? Because I feel like kind of hearing your story and, and you and I have talked a couple times offline about it and stuff. I think it really helped you. Uh, in the end. And, and what I mean is when you went to college and you graduate early and all those kind of things, I think it really kind of motivated you to get up and get beyond where you were at. 
Yeah, absolutely. And for me, you know, because I had so much autonomy as a young kid, I got to um, kind of, I was exposed to a lot of things way earlier in life that a lot of people kind of take up later, whether it's going out, partying, doing those kinds of things. Like, let's say you get to college and I had already done all those things at a very, very young age. So I was um, just kind of motivated to get on with, with the next, with the next thing. And, you know, a big part of that too is just always having to kind of um, advocate for yourself in the best way that you can. Um, and haven't always been the best at that, which uh, something I've tried to, I've tried to work on. Um, so. Yeah. And, and when we talk about that and, you know, when, when you say you went to college and everything, it, you kind of turned out and from you and I talking, you kind of didn't expect any of that to happen. Like you, you really pushed yourself. Um, what I heard from former guys that worked with you and stuff, you were always a natural athlete and stuff. Uh, did you excel in high school? Because you definitely excelled in college. Yeah. So, um, I actually got in some trouble in high school. It's a funny story, but, uh, I got, uh, I was, yeah, I got in some trouble and I dropped out of high school actually. And, uh, I went to a program called, uh, DBI in Florida, which is called drop back in. So you drop out of, drop out of high school at this time I was, uh, you know, at this time I was kind of at that early pubescent stage of just you know acting out in a lot of probably poor ways and uh so i got in some trouble dropped out and then got this idea i was going to get my ged join the join the navy or join the marines or something right as like a young 16 year old kid (laughs) and then uh, you know yeah it's crazy but so then my mother uh unfortunately she had to go to a treatment facility for uh, rehab so we moved to a different part of Florida, and it was at that time when a, there was a lot of turmoil going on in my house. My mother at the time was married to a guy who was, who was pretty abusive to her, and uh, him and I definitely had it out a couple times. And it was the instability of my house that was bleeding into my schoolwork, and you could kind of, I guess you could see it. And so I had like my first really huge mentor in my life, which was a guy named Paul Ott, who was the principal of the high school that I was going to. And I kind of opened up to him and explained kind of, hey, what's going on at my at my home situation. And that's when he kind of took me under his wing and really, really mentored me in a way like a father would to a young man, just how to handle these situations that I was dealing with, helping me with finding other places to live at the time I was off and on living at different friends' houses um, to try to avoid that situation that I was living in. And, uh, but it, so he's one of those, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for uh, that, that key mentor I had in my life at that time. So let me ask you, you say, cause you drop out and stuff. So the, the DBI now, is he involved in high school or is this principal involved with the, the DBI program? Yeah. So, okay. So I was, the way it worked was I was living in Orlando, got in trouble. I dropped out of high school. We moved to, for my, uh, mother to go to treatment. And then I actually signed up for 
a new high school there, right? So, and then that's when I still wasn't on the right path, still kind of acting out, doing some pretty stupid things. Um, and then, so he was the principal of that new high school that I was going to, if that helps kind of clear it up. Yeah, no. And, and so one, the first question that comes to mind is, does he know how it turned out for you? Yeah. Um, him and I have, have definitely stayed in close contact because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. So I kind of, you know, he, he knows, uh, he knows I, I was, successful in college and then he actually helped get me into college which is crazy because my grades were just terrible i was like a because i had had these inconsistencies with my schooling i had terrible grades and i had fallen behind and all this stuff but yeah i I reached out to him and uh when i i officially became a team guy and and among the seal teams you know i was he was really thrilled and he he always kind of saw it in me that i would do something uh you know special but i didn't I don't, at the, you know, I didn't, I never thought I would, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, make them proud, I guess. <laughs> well, and, and so that, that brings up a crazy point. And you and I have talked about this a couple times. Um, when you talk about that and you say he always thought you could do it, but you never could. There's such a crazy kind of difference with you that I've always noticed. And we've talked about it before is you you almost sell yourself short on stuff. Like you don't think that it's possible, but then when you set to do it, you destroy it. So I'm wondering what was it about him that made him one, believe in you that you could do it. And two, what made you think that you weren't as good as he was making you out to be? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with, I think as a young young man, I struggled with my own self-worth just because I didn't have kind of a father figure in the house um, and I had this instability. It's like it kind of made me feel like I was less than in some weird kind of way. Um, but I've kind of always had that mentality of like, you know, you're never really good enough. You got to do more. You got to, you know, and it maybe it's like I think a lot of it has to do with um, like how important it is to be to be have humility right but um yeah i I don't know where it stems from i beat myself up pretty good and most most team guys do we never really cut a cut ourselves some slack we're not really ever kind to eat to ourselves right um and so yeah if that kind of answers your question i think yeah it does but it brings up another question behind it when you say that about you and and team guys in general are pretty hard on themselves. And I think that there's a place for that in life to, to be hard on yourself, to always try and strive and do better and and maybe be the best at it. Do you think there's ever a point though, where, where thought like that hampers you and, and let's first take it in the job of like a, a seal. Does that ever hamper you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, looking back, if I could, if I could, if I could be a seal and do some things differently, uh, when I really was having issues, I wouldn't have tried to like, I wouldn't have tried to suck it up and keep it on the down low and, and, and keep it quiet. You know, I would have tried to display, you know, I would have had the courage to be like earlier at that time, like, hey, something, something's going on or I need help with this. But we kind of adopt that mentality of, you know, suffer in silence and that is good up into a point, but there is, there is a time when that mentality can, you know, that, that lack of honesty with yourself or the lack of honesty with 
the direction you're headed could really could really screw you in the long run you know yeah and and i i think that at certain points like i said that is good for your career because it always keeps kind of pushing you forward but at at a certain times and and we'll get into it a little later but like after the injury and stuff that can really hinder kind of the the growth that comes behind it that you finally kind of found out now you enlisted in the navy in 2014 right and yes, so sir. So you're going way behind like uh, the GWAT era. You know what I mean? You're you're 13 years behind 9-11 and stuff. Was it yeah. the same kind of thing? Because you talk to guys that enlisted kind of around that time and they're like, man, I, you know, I saw that, that we were all together and we had this mission. Was it still that with you or was there something different 13 years down the road of that? Yeah, so the best way that I could probably – answer that in my experience was i mean it was really dependent on the military leadership we had right it wasn't it didn't really depend on like what was going on it was like we're preparing for war we're going to do that every day we're going to be the best that we can at that no matter kind of what the circumstance or the time frame is but because you know you know our mutual friend dave dave was you know the guy that brought me up into the warrior kind of culture and it was, I mean, it was uh, definitely kind of uh, hampering down. You know, we, um, Wink put us, Dave, it put us in the best possible situation to do uh, anything similar to what he had been doing in, you know, in the early 2000s in Iraq and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it really wasn't about like, um, we were training based on and, and, and performing at such a high level, it, you know, to that we were ready for pretty much anything that we had. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you enlisted, because you hear a lot of crazy stories, did you have a Navy SEAL contract or did you did you go in and, and got into it? How, how did that work out? Yeah. So right away, I was in college. I was not really, uh, wasn't really having a good time. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I knew, though, that most SEALs had college degrees. So for me, it was really about uh, finishing that college degree just, you know, for I think it was had to do with because I had quit things in my past, because I had failed, because I had dropped out of high school and, and been academically unsuccessful. I wanted to prove that I could finish this and I could do this. And I graduated in two and a half years. And then I was like enlisting and starting the process while I was still in college because I knew that I wanted to be a SEAL. And so I had already gone into the delayed entry program. I was already physically fit and ready to rock and roll because I knew kind of what the standards and everything were and how you had to exceed those. So I was ready to go, you know, the day I showed up in the recruiter's office, I did the PST, whatever for it. And then like the next day, I think I signed the contract that I enlisted like the day after that and then you get put into like this hold period and then I like wanted to go to buds right away so I was kind of told that if there's a guy who drops out in the delayed entry program where when, that's like when you're waiting to go you could fill that spot but you would get the call like the day before like hey you ready to go and so I actually ended up doing that so I graduated college and then like two months later I was going to going to Navy boot camp. So let me ask you. So as you go to Navy boot camp, you haven't met Wink yet. 
I want to know what you took away from that principle and put it to work in the Navy and then when you went to BUDS. What do you mean by the principle when you say that? Uh, the principle that you had in high school that, that kind okay, of mentored right. you. What did you take away from him and what what was kind of the thoughts and the main takeaways from him that you used at the beginning of your career and then through BUDS? Yeah, um, man, that's a good question. Uh it's a mouthful too. I would say, um, he was definitely a man of faith, right? I went to, uh, he was, he was a man of faith and really kind of fostered in me how, you know, that, you know, if, you know, and I know people, you know, have different religious views and all that. And I respect all of them, but you know, that, um, you know, God has a plan for you and that, uh, I know, although it's going to be hard at times, um, if he, he's, he, he'll, he will present to you the challenges that you can handle. Right. Um, even though you, sometimes you don't think you can, but, uh, so he was definitely big in kind of fostering my, my, my faith at a very, well, not really like a young age. I guess I was like 16 or 17, but that's still relatively young in life. Yeah. Kind of gapping me, like sending me out and kind of giving me this new mentor, this father, right? The God that I could, that I always had there for me and with me that I could always have access to, right? Even though I was kind of going into the unknown. So, uh. so with that, when you go to Buds, do you have any trouble in Buds at all? Because you mentioned kind of before that you, if you were to go back and do, you maybe wouldn't hide things as much. Is there something that, that you had any trouble with in Buds, or did did you kind of take it in stride and pretty much go through it? Yeah, I, I took it in stride. The thing that I, uh, in second phase, I got kind of like a lung, lung. Uh, I think it's like some kind of bronchitis or whatever from, from first phase, and I ended up failing pool comp, but I blacked out like five out of five times on OCA. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, just being dumb and just being like, I'm not going to quit. You're going to have to pull me out of here. So the only thing I really struggled with in BUDS was OC8. But, man, BUDS is such an amazing experience. It's so much fun, right? It sucks, but it's like humor gets you through it. And you're some of my best memories. And a lot of guys, even to this day, their best memories come from things like, you know, Hell Week and all that. And, and I really I wish, I wish, you know, as I – have issues with my memory and stuff. Uh, I wish I would have journaled more in butts. So anybody listen to this, who's going like write it down. <laughs> so I, I want to ask though, when you went to college, you finished your degree. Why go in as enlisted? Why not an officer? So I had a really distant relative of mine who was a, a very high ranking seal at the time. And um, this is where it kind of like, the importance of mentorship, like if you're going to go and do something, kind of find somebody who's done it, call them, bend their ear, ask them for advice, see what they would do differently or whatever. And I've used that, I've used that in business. I've used it since pretty much in high school when I saw how a good mentor could really turn your life around. Coming in as enlisted instead of an officer, because there's there, you would agree there's such different worlds, maybe not during BUDS, or maybe it is during buds, but but just in general life in the military is completely yeah. different in those two sides. Yeah. So um, my distant relative, who was an officer, who was a Naval Academy guy, 
he said if he could do it all over again, he would enlist. And is a it's a two completely uh, different uh, jobs, right? Being a, being an officer versus being enlisted as far as the operator role. And um, my thing was is I really wanted to shoot bad people in the face, and that's I wanted to be a trigger puller. I wanted to be an assaulter. I wanted to be the first guy going in the house and not, not the, not the guy, you know, building PowerPoints and, and, and talking to, talking to aircraft. Um, and so that's why I chose to, uh, enlist. So I could, I had the opportunity to do that. And it seems like in the pipeline itself, uh, enlisted personnel have a longer, like fully operational career as far as how many platoons and things they can do. Officers are put in a, a completely different pipeline. Um, and, uh, but, two really amazing groups of dudes on either side. You know, it's, you know, a lot of, you know, it's all about the role you want to play, but the overall, like the complexity of a, of an, of a target package. And it's so in everybody's got so much that they're doing. So not to diminish anyone's job from the other, but it's just, it's this well-oiled machine. That's totally badass, And I miss it every day. <laughs> okay. So when you go there and you say some of your best memories are from buds, is that the first time that you feel like a true family? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, just being a part of a, a group and um, just being a good performer and being able to stand amongst the caliber and the quality of men that are there and, and to be able to, you know, to be with them, right, to keep up with them and, um and it's interesting because a lot of guys in the teams have similar stories that I do, right, uh, about, you know, just different style of upbringings. And, uh, you know, it's just it's a really amazing place. And so, yeah, I agree. That's definitely kind of where I felt like this is a true family. These guys have my back, you know, no matter what. And it's the tr it really is the truth um, still to this day. So. Uh, we've we've kind of talked about any physical problems that you had in Bud's training. Were there any kind of, because this is kind of your thrown in the deep end, like you can't quit here and you said you wouldn't quit here. So mentally, how are you approaching this different than what we've talked about in maybe high school or, or things like that before where you said you, you quit or you failed at it or whatever? How yeah. are you approaching this differently and what kind of methods are you taking to have a whole new outlook on what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, my I I kind of this adopted this really extreme mindset, and it was that I they were gonna have to literally I was gonna have to die before I I would ever quit. And you know, I noticed a lot of people. You know, I you'd hear guys say that. You know, they give a pep talk or a speech to everybody, and you know, those guys would quit the next day. Uh, but for me, I just. I don't know. I, I think maybe it was just, I wasn't going to give up on, you know, my, the guys, cause it, you know, buds so much is you're looking after the guy to your left and to your right. You're not really concerned about yourself, but the guy to your left and your right is looking after you. So you kind of got each other covered and that well, I wasn't going to do anything to let that guy, that guy down. Right. I wasn't going to do anything to make this experience kind of, you know, harder on him by, I don't know, just feeling like if you're there, you can help. Right. And, um, I really had that mindset. I was like, you know, 
I was angry at it, the machine. I wanted to crush the machine. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, I, I, you just, you give yourself these weird pep talks and you, you know, I don't know, maybe I was able to get myself just so angry that it's what kind of helped get me, get me through. But I, I really enjoyed it, man. Like I really did. It was such an awesome experience. Well, let's talk about that. You make yourself angry. So there's got to be stuff that you're thinking about to make you angry. So what is it that drives you? Because I think a lot of people use that method, but they use a lot of different thinking techniques. Either they think about the end goal. Some of them think angry. Some of them just think happy thoughts and kind of, you know, like happy Gilmore, go to their happy spot. What was it that, that kind of drove your thoughts and, and put you in that mind state to never quit? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, you know, you play weird mind games with yourself, right? You say like, you know, imagine, you know, ISIS or somebody coming down here to chop your brother's head off or something like that. And you just want to get, you know, you use that for that day of the week or like, you know, or, um, yeah, I just, my thing was too, is like growing up, I was a fighter. I got in a lot of fist fights and, and, uh, that's kind of been my, <laughs> an easy thing for me. It's not necessarily been like in a, um, you know, I had to go through this thought process or think of a certain, a dude. I just, I had that switch that I could like, if I needed to get intense, I could do that pretty easily. Um, and I, I think it definitely helped me, um, in buds and, and it also helped me in the teams. Okay. So, you get through buds. What year are we talking about where you actually make it to a team? So that would probably be you go after buds, you go to SQT, and then you make it to the right after that. We got our, uh, we were going to team one in June of 2018. Okay. What's your thoughts? Because now we're 17 years past 9 11. What's your thoughts going in there? Do you think maybe I'm too late? Maybe there's not going to be. Um, action time. Maybe there's not going to be mission time because I've heard guys say before, you know, 9-11 kind of happened. They were worried once they went like, oh man, what if I did all this and, and nothing ever comes of it? I don't get to use this skill that I've worked so hard to get. Are you worried about that at all? Or do you think I'm going to be working? Yeah, I just, I really, it was just like these, this is where I belong. Like, I don't know, you know, and I, I've been mentored by so many team guys from Vietnam era guys to that. And just like how you harness that mentality and, you know, so many guys, right. You know, right before nine 11, um, didn't know that they were going to spend the next, you know, almost 20 years in sustained fighting against an enemy overseas. And just like kind of always having that be ready, be sharp, be prepared, be ready to rock and roll for when the, when, when it hits the fan, you're squared away and can, and can do the job that you've always wanted to do. It was an interesting time because Charles Keating had just been killed in Iraq. Um, he was at team one and we were, um, you know, that was my, as soon as I graduated SQT, it was now we were helping, you know, a really amazing, um, teammate and help, you know, preparing for his funeral and helping where we could and doing all those things. So it was like, you know, it was a big, um, it was just a big eye opener, you know, you're, it's like, boom, right away. You're, you're, you, and you got to see, you know, I interacted with a lot of Chuck's teammates and just hearing, you know, his stories and what that loss was like and meeting Chuck's family and, um, just doing all that. So it was, uh, they, I had the, you know, for us, 
we're like, we're going to go make these guys pay now, right? It's That's always kind of, there's always, I think no matter what, there's always going to be an enemy that this country is going to have because, you know, you go over there to the Middle East and Africa and like you see the mindset of the, you know, the just the thing that lives there and why we need to continue to kill it. So let me ask you, because you said it was an eye opener to you. Does it change your mental process of how you're going to approach your job? Because when you're in training and stuff, all you're thinking of is, you know, you're going to be the, the baddest man on the planet. Then you see this guy that's a seasoned guy and this happens to. Does it change your approach or maybe slow you down a little bit going into it? I mean, you know, we've, we've already talked about that and you say, you know, you have that where you're ready to go at a moment's notice, but do you approach it more cautiously? Is that the right word? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's always that, uh, no matter how good you are, right. Stuff, you know, things, bad things happen, right. That are outside of your control. You know, this, a lot of those lessons, you know, with, uh, you know, extortion and, you know, and all, and all these, these, these heroes who have paid the ultimate price, right. Who those guys were so good, right. They were so good at their jobs and what they did, but you know, uh, just this, this uncontrollable event caused these things, these terrible things to happen. Um, but I think in a weird way, uh, like warriors chased a warrior's death, man, you know, it's like you want to, your idea is like, you know, for me, I didn't think, I didn't, maybe I didn't want, I don't really know, but you know, every, every dude who's a, you know, pipe hitting team guy or in, in any part of the military, you know, you want to freaking, um, if you are going to die, you want to go out with your gun in your hand, protecting your brothers. And you know, that's like the ultimate, you know, kind of, you, you kind of catching what I'm, what yeah, I'm saying. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So in this time frame. 2016 is when you go to team one, uh, 2017, have you deployed at all or, or are you just training up to deploy? Yeah. So at this point we're training up um, there's, there's like, I don't know if there's opportunities to augment where you can kind of go catch it, catch a team that's doing something and they can, you know, work you in. But, uh, yeah, we went right to team one and then we, you know, I was thrust into uh, Delta platoon, which was, um, just an absolutely amazing group of guys. And we just started training for war and every, every older guy in that platoon had gone to combat zones, had, you know, done really great things. And so it was a, it was just a pipe hitting meat eating group of just handsome savages that you were just thrilled, excited to learn from and just super stoked to be led by. Right. Right. So 2017, San Clemente Island, I bring this up because we need to talk about the first accident, the first injury that you received. Um, you, you make it to team one in 16, 17, this happens. So what month are we talking about 16 when you get there? Um, so, so I was a, did you say what month? Yeah. What month did you get to the team? So we were, we did like right on the end. So every team goes through, I don't know how it is now, but it's like a two year workup cycle. So you check in and then right away you go to six months of professional development where you get your quals. And so I became a breacher um, just because they kind of, the way that the guy did it was like kind of matches kind of your personality. So the guys that were like, 
I don't know, kind of rough and tumble, uh, aggressive dudes would be really good breachers, right? Guys that were calm, patient, good shots, whatever, they would go to sniper school. Um, and so that was kind of like either went to breacher, sniper school, or comm school. So I became a breacher, um, and I was a, I was a fighter, so I, I loved, you know, going to the gym and doing the combat stuff. And uh, we uh, were – and then after professional development, you go to – uh, your your ULT, your unit level training, and that's where kind of everybody brings their expertise together to start executing uh, like full mission profiles and different types of things. So how far are you into your career when this accident in 2017 happens? So that was halfway through my, my first uh, platoon at SEAL Team 1, and uh, – yeah, that that one was was kind of like a pretty good bang up and kind of just shook it off. You know, they gave me the couple days to kind of rest and just kind of recover. Um, and the biggest thing for me was that, you know, on both times that I was really injured, I didn't really I didn't want to leave my guys, man. That was like the biggest thing. I just, you know, you have that fear of missing out and you just uh yeah, so um, I can kind of talk through that event if you want. Yeah, let, let's talk about that because I want to talk about, like, the injuries that you did receive. You already said you're out for a couple of days and stuff, but but let's go through that event so people understand what happened. Yeah, so um, we have a, an island in California that we do um, some training out at. It's where third phase is at, but that's also where we have our, like, urban combat deal. And we were doing kind of like towards the end, and we were hitting, uh, we were doing a full mission profile, hitting a target building, and um, kind of like everything that team guys are made to do, we do that. It's just training uh, from insert until everything to extract all that. And we were, um, we got the go ahead to go hit this building, and um, I guess what happened was the guy who was operating the Humvee. He didn't tell anybody that he hadn't driven on nods. We were short-staffed. Sometimes you pull techs and support over to drive. And uh, we, um, I guess he, we got dusted out. So I was in the back of the Humvee. It's kind of had a trunk open area. I had all the breaching tools in there, saws, quickies, all that, uh, things we used to gain entry into buildings. And um, so I'm kind of standing up in the back and all the other guys are seated in the Humvee. And I guess this dude had lost track of the road. He got dusted out, couldn't see, and he kind of, he veered off the road. And then he hit a he hit a, a wall. He crashed right into a wall. And I went from the back of the Humvee, and I smashed my uh, the back of my head on a on a turret. Uh, and a lot of people like a turret is an up armored, super thick steel plate and um uh so i yeah i racked myself and then i was just i was gone <laughs> and i guess they said i had like i was on my own program i grabbed a sledgehammer or something and like started walking into the mountains <laughs> or the i was just out of it so they they pulled me and then um i was assessed by the medical staff but i was um i mean it was just intense because you know the little memories i do have i remember my 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 buddy chris 
waking up to him screaming in my face. Um, and uh, it's it was for, I was really fortunate though if I didn't hit that turret because the way the guy clipped it, if I didn't hit the turret and I I went up and over the Humvee, I probably would have uh, probably would have landed on my head or my neck, and that that would have been not good. So it was a blessing that I got out of there with just a major, major, major concussion. Um, so that was, yeah. So I didn't want to kill that guy. <laughs> I wanted to kill that dude. <laughs> so well, they actually and, separated me and wouldn't let me, wouldn't, wouldn't let me go near him for a couple days. Cause I wanted to rip his, his head off. <laughs> well, and, and, and so, you know, you've said you're always a fighter and stuff. You've always been a fighter, but do you think that it was, a uh, um, because he pulled you away from your team, because you know you had that downtime and stuff, do you think that's what made you so angry about it? That he kind of halted what you were doing? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, for me, it was just too. It's like one of the one of the most dangerous things is like if you if you kind of say you if you if you had if you're put into if you're put into a role that you claim you have the responsibility to fulfill to a high level and you don't, that's how you get people hurt. Right. So, um, that was probably one of the reasons I was, I was pissed. And, um, I mean, getting, if, if you've ever like, I, I, I'm a, I was a, I've been a boxer for probably boxer and a fighter for probably 15, 15 years. I've had, I've had concussions, man. I've been knocked out multiple times, but you know, when you get in a really, really bad one like that and, to where you got headaches for days and your, <clears throat> you know, lights and everything look way different and you're sensitive to sound and all this crap that happens. It's like, you just look for the, <laughs> the dude responsible to take your anger out on him. But, um, so, but yeah, it was just rest for a couple days and I wanted to get back. So it was, uh, just let's get the kid on and let's go. Like just keep on, keep, keep on rolling, you know? And then, <clears throat> it was back to eating charges and blowing stuff up and breaching and fighting. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I was going to ask you. Maybe after getting a concussion, the best thing, you know, not to do after three or four days is get back into eating breaches and stuff. So um, what kind of treatments were, were given to you for this one or how did they approach your injury? And I want to talk from a military standpoint, doctor standpoint, did they just kind of blow it off or did they, was it taken seriously as a concussion? Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was taken seriously. Uh, they go through like they, <clears throat> the biggest thing they would check for is, you know, blown pupils or any kind of like internal hemorrhage or any kind of injury to the neck. I didn't have any of those things. Um, and, uh, it's, um, you, uh, kind of do things you you do certain things moving forward that are in the best interest of your team and and for what's in the best interest of that right um that for me was always number one right and if probably there's some times where i could have advocated a little better but I was just, we're so mission focused and the train's moving so fast. You don't want to get off it. You want to keep going, keep going, keep going. That even if you were, you know, really having a hard time or struggling with something, you just, 
you just suck it up and because you don't want to you don't want to be separated from your guys it's like a bond that it's hard to explain to you know it's hard to put into words so after this uh 2018 you deployed to africa correct yeah so our platoon because of the leadership that we had uh really really phenomenal guys because of the performance of the of our platoon we kind of like won the spot to go um to to a really good area right where we had the highest likelihood of of doing some amazing things so we deployed to africa we were attached to a um a a tier one unit out there and kind of doing a lot of things uh, uh assisting them in different ways and um it was it was it was an amazing amazing experience we were going back and forth to yemen different you know and and doing things from yeah a really amazing spot you were considered a qrf right that's what you were kind of a quick reaction force for anything over there yeah so we would do a qrf for a lot of a lot of ops operations going down in there and then we would also do the personnel recovery so we were on the hook for <clears throat> if any any air assets went down we would uh do the the recovery of the pilot or if there was a something sensitive that needed to get recovered um and so we were really just kind of at disposal of this really amazing high level group right so um it was it was a it was an amazing learning experience and you're you're at the tip i mean the absolute tip of where you want to be and the guys you're getting exposed to and just the knowledge that's there, right? The guys that you're sitting around at a table eating with and like some of the things that they've gone through and experienced, you're just like, man, that's like the guy who's, you know, he's a legend in this community and I want to soak up as much as I can from him. So that's why getting to that spot was like a pretty, pretty amazing thing. Well, let's talk about something that I was told about you. Now you talked about recovery of pilots, recovery of drones, sensitive information. When you were a new guy, you were kind of thought of as a, a kind of a one in a million new guy. We we have talked about that, where you you just kind of could fire on all cylinders. You could handle anything that was handed down to you, do the job. You didn't really need people to tell you how to do it. You just did it. But there was a time that came up where you guys were recovering drones, and you were given uh, a mission set to draw up a plan of how you could recover these missions. Now, uh, excuse me, recover these drones. Now, what I was told was that you were told, hey, you set it all up, you get it all ready, and I'll run it up the chain. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to walk us through that because what's funny is the person on the other end of this said that they were so impressed with you with what you had done and being as young as you were that that really kind of set it into motion for you. Yeah. So, you know, our... um the, the thing is, is, you know, and I, I just, I could hammer on it again and again, but like my high, my enlisted leadership was just this amazing group of mentors and they really kind of <clears throat> showed us the right and the correct way to do things. And then after they showed us, they were like, <clears throat> now you need to do that. You need to be able to do that. Right. And so they put a lot of uh, trust in us. Um, they kind of gave us enough rope to, to hang ourselves and for me it was really about like you know i wanted to i wanted to earn you know 
the the respect of these people, right? I wanted to be, you know, kind of, I wanted to be, and I don't know, they're kind of like all my dads, man. You just want to make them proud, right? You want to, you really want these guys to, to accept you. And so, yeah, we kind of had some downtime and, you know, the, we were throwing some ideas around of doing some pretty high, high level kind of a uh, full mission profile type stuff. And, you know, like with most platoons, I'll be like, okay, hey, new guy, take it away. And, you know, it was, it was just a really cool thing because we were already tasked with doing that. We hadn't done it yet. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of orchestrated a bunch of different uh, different things. Uh, I haven't even thought about this until you, you said that. I totally forgot about it. But, yeah, we were had to – we essentially had to – um, the complexities that you would need to, to schedule air assets and deconflict range space and to uh, put together, a, you know, a, a, an op board and a con op and all the concept of operations and all these things in order to go, uh, you know, blow up a drone. And then you have like, uh, um, you know, type of explosive you're using and you got to do a time charged time charge and you have to have it go off at a certain. Um, so there's just there's so much prep that goes into it and. So we put that together, and uh, it was just a really amazing training experience, and uh, yeah, just made old Daddy Wink proud. <laughs> well, I think you're breezing over a couple of the things. You built a drone. You built a mock-up of a drone. Did yeah. you not? Now, yeah, we did. <laughs> you had you were told plus or minus three seconds to make this explosion, right? Yeah, absolutely. You hit it on zero. You hit it exactly when it was supposed to go off. So I think yeah. you're breezing over a couple things being a new guy and showing the leadership just how important this family and this job was to you. To take yeah. it that seriously, to build your own drone, and, and you did build your own drone, uh, yeah. I think you breeze over a couple of the things because I think it needs to be pointed out, just like we'll talk about later on with the business now, when you take things on, you take them on full bore. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's kind of been always been my speed. It's zero to a hundred miles an hour. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I totally forgot about that, but yeah, we like built a drone to the point where we had to like assemble it in the field and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, my thing was, is my, my two guys, my two, my chief and my LPO were probably two of the most experienced explosive dudes out there they were just like this wealth of knowledge and so i got to learn from them constantly and um you know i just i took when you're handling explosives it's such an important thing to be really proficient at it and so when you have a time you have a five minute time time delay and you need it to go off when it hits zero it better go off at zero right because uh you know you know the correct things to do and you do them you don't take shortcuts and um, and that's how you get that, 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 uh, that end result that you're looking for. So let's talk about wink for a minute because your face changes when you talk about wink. So let's talk about him, what he meant to you, what his mentorship was to you and what he really did for you in your career. Yeah, man, I, I could probably spend a couple hours talking about him. Uh, so yeah, he was. You know, he's just like a West Coast legend, CQC guy, like probably the most knowledgeable explosive dude um, on that coast and probably uh, within the community is a master breacher. And he just, uh, the thing with Wink that I just, 
you know, I'm so grateful for was how much um, he was willing to teach us, right? Most, a lot of chiefs, um, they can kind of, they have other things uh, that they're doing and not necessarily focused, but because I was a breacher, he definitely uh, just um, brought me up and he did that for everybody. And I think that was why we, we performed at such a high level that we did was just how, how he managed us, how he mentored us and how he brought us up and how, um, you know, we, we weren't going to let him down because of the time and the effort that he put into making sure that we were like as sharp as we could be. Um, and so for me, he was almost like a father figure one I was in and, um, he's just a totally a rad dude. You know, he's a, a just an experienced warfighter. He's a great family man. He's a total Renaissance man. You know, he's like the guy that when you think of like what an, what a Navy SEAL is, it's like, that's the dude. And, um, he embodied that well. And he was my example and probably a lot of guys examples on what kind of, what it meant to be a, a higher, you know, a, a, an enlisted, like true leader, warrior, family man, and just everything that you also wanted to be too, right? So at, at this point, speaking of family man, do you, have you started a family yet? Do you have a girlfriend? Do you have, because what happens with a lot of guys is, you know, they, they are in and out of relationships or they get married really quick. So kind of give the background on your relationships at this point. Yeah. So I, uh, was dating a long time best friend, um, or yeah, a friend at the time. And I think <clears throat> my thing was, is a lot of guys kind of do it right. The significant other that you have, you want to make sure that if something happens to you, they're good to go as far as benefits wise and all of those things. And so, um, I did get married, uh, like at the beginning of, uh, like right at the end of SQT, you do like a courthouse kind of wedding. A lot of guys do it to get more BAH or all that. But my thing was, is this, this, uh, you know, uh, just wanted to protect her and make sure that if something happened to me, because it, you know, it's a, it's a high risk job. Hopefully you're going to war. You never know what can happen and you want to take care of those you love. And for me, like I didn't have, there wasn't a chance in hell I was going to give my, my, my SGLI money to my mom or my dad. So, you know, so yeah, I did get, end up getting married. Uh, do you, when you look back on that and you said, like you said, a lot of guys do it. Do you think that that's a problem in the military these days that, that I, I don't know if it's necessarily pushed, but it seems to happen a lot, which sometimes ends up in divorce and things like that. Do you think that that's a problem? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in my experience, um, you know, everybody's kind of different. I think it's just, uh, each person has a different outcome and goal. You know, I have some guys that got married just to get a girl over here from a different country or whatever, hooking up their friend who's got, so everything's, everybody's got a, got an interesting story about why they choose. Um, it, in our community, it's definitely hard to have a healthy relationship, I think. Um, so it, 
for a woman who's been a supportive wife of a seal that's been there since through thick and thin, like, man, that is one amazing woman. If she's still there after all of that. Um, and we have our, our community has a really high divorce rate that, uh, I'm definitely a part of that. So, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Okay. So you're married, you're, you're doing these things and, and this is where the story I think starts to kind of go a little sideways. So 2018, you're deployed to Africa, another major injury, another major, uh, I guess you would call it an accident happens again. So let's walk through this one. And then we kind of want to talk about compounding from the first one till now and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in June, on June 8th of 2018, uh, there was, uh, that was also why we were deployed, probably one of the most impactful moments for me. You know, a bunch of my buddies had gotten uh, pretty messed up in, in, in um, Jabaland, uh, Somalia, and that's where Alex Conrad was killed, uh, the, the unit that was with. So, yeah, Alex Alex got killed, and we were tasked with kind of going and like, receiving his body and watching over him as, you know, we, you, know you take him off the plane and... We stay with his body and we make sure there's always somebody of watch on a fallen service member. And so me and a lot of the guys were like a lot of my buddies that I saw after that, man, they were just like they were messed up. You know, they were you can kind of see a little bit of the just the shock that they had experienced from that event and all that. And um, so uh, we were pissed, man, like we wanted to and we were already pissed, like in that theater where we are, who we're working with and the exposure that we have and the stuff that we get to see, we're like, dude, we're itching at the bit to like, go get it. But the nature of warfare was changing a lot of airstrikes, a lot of that stuff. So they're not going to send a group of, you know, us out there they, when they can just drop that. So we're all pissed. We're all want to go kill these groups. You know, there's all kinds of different groups in that region. And, um, so moving on, we were kind of doing a lot of training, a lot of training, a lot of training with a really special, uh, you know, uh, um, helicopter unit, air fixed, uh, rotary wing unit. And we were, uh, doing, um, we were getting picked up on a, on a beach after doing some stuff. And, uh, yeah, they came to pick us up when they, when they flared. So like a helicopter comes in real fast and, and low, they kind of do this thing where they, they flare them down real quick. And when they did that, one of the Zodiacs that we had on the beach, um, high and dry on the beach actually had pitched up like gone nose up and these our boats are pretty big and they're packed with a lot of stuff and um you know unfortunately the reason why the boat was picked up was because the guys on the other side weren't holding it down or maybe they couldn't i don't really know i try not to get into that um i just you know you can't really change anything but so that boat went up and uh went up and then I was kind of, I looked uh, behind me, I saw the, the boat was gone, it was in the air, and I looked I looked up and right as I realized I couldn't get out of the way of this thing, I just, right at the last minute, I kind of covered up and the motor of the boat hit my uh, helmet, it broke my helmet, and I was, I was uh, pretty messed up after that one, I was, I was like, I feel like that's the moment where I've been rebuilding my life from like that day. <laughs> okay. So 
let's let's go back a little bit. What was it about before you ran this mission? What was it about Alex's death that that flared up so many people? Why that one? I mean, I think it's just it's so it's so uh, you know things have in you know things had really died down you know and then all of a sudden this event happens and um, you know I had never uh, I had never experienced like like being in country and like receiving being on the receiving end of a of an American who had given their life for freedom and, and that is you know like the most heart-wrenching heartbreaking heart-twisting thing you'll ever experience um because it's you see things on the tv or this and that or you see things you go to funerals in coronado it kind of becomes this normal thing but it's like when you see it there and you're you know and it, you know it's just uh, for me that was kind of what it what the experience was for me and yeah i just yeah we were all just ready to just go freaking kill who needed to be killed. And the reason I asked that question is because fast forward to the injury that happens, this takes you out of the game and it takes you out of the game completely. Um, so you have all this built up all this time, this injury happens and it's a, it's a really bad injury this time compounded with the first one. Let's talk about your thoughts because it knocks you out. Correct. Oh yeah. I was, yeah. I was, um, a lot of things changed for me on that day. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, some of my buddies helped me into the, into the, I'm so I'm told, cause I really like, I don't really remember a lot after that. And, um, but yeah, so. Well, let's talk yeah. about, because this is, this is where your story that I said kind of takes off is let's talk about. Um, that day, what you're thinking of, cause you, you've said it multiple times already. That was the day that your life kind of changed. So let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, uh, nobody really, I mean, at that time there was a little bit of talk of like, Oh, TBI and like concussions are bad for you. And we're like, what? Like, couldn't, what do you mean? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think in the last couple of years, it's really gotten a lot of a lot of the attention that it deserves just based on how it really alters people's personalities and how it messes with every your motor skills, everything. Right. And it, it causes this um, this whirlwind of, of of kind of everything. And so yeah, that that day for me, uh, for a long time, I worked to try to. I think I I wanted to blame certain people, right? Like whether it was the the guys not holding down the boat, it wouldn't have gone in the air. I'd still be a I'd still be in the SEAL teams, and I'd still be doing the job I loved and everything. And I my life wouldn't have kind of turned in the direction that it did for so long, but. I kind of learned that, you know, just that wasn't really healthy for me moving forward and that I just had to um, just be grateful that I wasn't killed because the fact that I was able to uh, come out of that alive was pretty, it was a pretty, uh, pretty amazing thing, you know, um, and that's kind of what I try to stay focused on, right? And uh, yeah, it was a doozy for sure. Do you have actual 
uh, injuries that you received, you know what I mean? Like that you were diagnosed with that day. Well, not necessarily that day, but from that injury. No. So, I mean, I knew kind of some things were, were kind of going on, uh, personality wise. I didn't know that I had had all these, that I was doing something different. I think with the interesting thing with a brain injury is like, um, you're, you don't, you don't realize that you've changed or, or you don't realize you're doing anything different. You're just doing things. And a lot of my, you know, I just, a lot of guys said, dude, like you became different after that. You didn't want anything to, you were isolating yourself. You didn't want anything to do with us. Or it was just, I was doing all these weird uncharacteristic things. Right. And I had my freaking, my neck hurt. I, you know, I, I broke my helmet. If I wasn't wearing my helmet, I probably would have been dead. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, um, was doing all these really weird things. I noticed my, my balance was really off. I had vertigo. I had really bad headaches. Uh, and I was just trying to suck it up. You know, I was at the time, I think I was just trying to, um, stay, you know, just be there with the guys. Cause you know, to be where you're working, um, at that level with who you're, and like you're right there like your toes are on the line if there's something going down you are in the a1 position to do it um and i think it's uh it's a it's a trend that a lot of guys kind of do it's like you know you you realize if you if you go seek that medical help or you go seek whatever you get pulled and that's not what you want right you want to be there um and it, and it yeah so You've talked about how it affected you in your military life. How did the injury affect your personal life? And I, I know you've already said that you kind of pulled away from the teammates and things like that in your personal life with wife and stuff. How did you see it affect you there? Yeah. Um, you know, it was uh, definitely with certain emotion regulation. Um, there was uh probably, you know, um, I mean, I would say in the long term, it would, it caused her and I to go our separate ways, right? It caused us to eventually, uh, get a divorce. Um, if that's because of the, I don't believe that's from the injury, but it was just, it added another thing for, uh, for, to, to deal with, which made just a higher, more stressful, situation which i think when you add more stress to certain things right it eventually it's going to bend and break and i had just um, become such a different person right and um i didn't i wasn't in control of that right it wasn't i you know i didn't uh if i could be i was before that stuff you know then i then i would be but it's kind of out of your your control when you you know, when you have like a legitimate medical thing that happens to your brain. How long does it take before you realize, because you said when you have a legitimate uh, injury, how long does it take before you realize this is serious? This isn't a normal run of the mill concussion. You've had those before. When is it that you finally realize like this could be bad? Yeah. So I, I started having, um, like these, these weird, uh, auras that I was being kind of, I would find myself in where 
I wouldn't uh, wouldn't know kind of what my name was or where I was. And it, it was, I mean, it's a scary thing, right? Uh, when something like that happens, you something something's going on in your brain where it's hijacked, and you're like, you know. And so uh, I ended up eventually. They started diagnosing them as these things called TIAs, which are like mini strokes. Um, and I mean, a lot of people like there's full blown strokes where you have like legitimate uh like hemiplegia like paralysis of one side of the body but these mini strokes can wreak havoc and so it got to the point where they were getting so bad that uh the last serious one i had where um i was hospitalized for a pretty long time that i came out and my uh my speech was totally just jacked up um and that was kind of where uh, I couldn't really hide like the things that were going on anymore. And no matter how hard I, I tried, you can't will yourself out of a physical injury, you know, no matter how much you kind of go with the, the mind over matter thing, you know, it's like a team guys, we think like, all right, well, you know, if I can just figure out what to do, I can make all this shit go away. But unfortunately, you know, when it comes to your, your brain, it's, it's a time thing. And, Team guys aren't patient, you know, definitely not patient. So, so yeah, that was, that was pretty much the big, the big, uh, moment where it was like, you, yeah, you need to focus now more on, uh, trying, trying to figure out what getting healthy looks like, um, and trying to have a, a, a make sure you have a good quality of life. And then if you can make a, make a good recovery, uh, then maybe you could return back to your your team at that point. So it's just like this: this you get hit from every angle because it's like being a team guy is your your purpose. It's your paycheck. It's everything in one uniform. And then um, you go from being with the most positive group of war fighters that this country has to offer to now you're in a hospital every day. Uh, and hospitals are not fun places, man. They're real full of a lot of depressed people. It's, it's a, it's not a good place to be. Right. Um, so that was it. It was kind of like, uh, you trade in your gun for, for the daily nine to five, uh, rehab. And I was working with, uh, there's a really great, uh, Naval Medical Center. San Diego has a really great TBI clinic. Um, and so I was in there working with, uh, you know, they hook you up to all these sensors and stuff and do these different things and they measure you. And it's just, I don't know, science, it's weird. Uh, and, um, <laughs> so that was like my daily life and it's hard, man. Rehab is freaking hard. Like anybody who's had a legit injury and gone to rehab, like I would go, I would go to rehab in the morning. I'd go work with a vestibular therapist. So like what happened was, the injury to my right side of the brain, my eyes like weren't lining up. Uh, so I had to work with a vestibular therapist to like, we would do these crazy exercises to get that overlay image so that I didn't have to wear prism glasses anymore. And it was so tiring. I'd go to my truck, I'd take a nap and then boom, then it was occupational therapy or it was more, it was more brain games and it was more memory stuff. And it, and it was just, it was just, man, it was a different kind of push yourself that, I didn't, I've never experienced. Are you depressed at this moment or, or at this time at all? Yeah. So <laughs> that's the next thing, right? Uh, I don't know how they do it now, but it, it's, 
you know, for me, it was a lot of medications that I was getting prescribed. Uh, you know, we could go down the list of every, you know, antidepressant claiming that antidepressants help with uh, neuroregenesis or whatever. Uh, you know, you're taking uh, different types of anti-anxiety pills because at the same time you're recovering, you're also losing everything you worked for, right? And this, your guys are going up forward and you're not there. And that is like the worst feeling for guys like us as operators, like the worst feeling ever, right? Um, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of your teammates. You know, that's definitely number one. But yeah, I was on a, so many pills, man. I was on a pill for sleep, a pill for waking up, a pill for if I was going somewhere. It was just, and for me, my thing was, I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm a team guy. I'm really good at my job. If another team guy comes to me and tells me, hey, do this, it's the right thing to do. I took that same approach with medical professionals and I thought whatever they would give me was going to help me. It was going to fix me. So I was like, cool, you know, I'll do that. Sure. Give it to me. If it's going to help me get back to my team or whatever, my, my guys, yeah, I'll take it, whatever it is. And so I feel like I was getting worse, to be honest, with all the concoction of pills that I was on. When you talk about uh, all the pills, you and I have talked about this on numerous occasions, and you say that you were up for anything, anything that someone said might might be the the cure, that you were you were down for it. When you go through so many things, though, you go through this treatment, and this treatment, and this treatment, and it's just on and on and on and on, and none of them seem to be the the golden bullet that that fixed this situation. How does your mental stability and and being able to be positive, how much is that affected by just not being able to get that thing to get you back right? Because it seems like such a simple thing, don't you agree, to get back just to being normal? Yeah. Um, and that's that's where I've kind of learned on my on my on my uh, on my path with this. Thing and I've reached out and talked with other guys. It's not like a one size fits all thing. So you can kind of uh, you can you can ask a guy, hey, what did you do for this? What do you do? Because there's no shortage of of guys who team guys or even conventional military guys who have been around really bad blasts and really bad IEDs. And these guys are also trying to figure out how to get better, right? So we're all kind of coming together and coming up with uh, you know these different uh, approaches. And it, it, it's a difficult, it's a really hard thing because it goes, it goes back to, you know, you, we have this like, this mindset of like, hey, mind over matter, you know, if you can will it, you know, if you, if you, if you, and with, with your, with brain injuries, it's like, it doesn't matter um, how much effort you put in, man, it's going to heal at the pace and the time that it's going to heal at. And for guys like us who see like, well, if I put in X, I should get out why but you know that's that's not how it works and it's um it's a it's a difficult thing right it's just um because for you know for me again it was just i was losing my purpose i was wasn't with my guys i wasn't with my unit and i was just just continuing to fall apart not finding that thing like you said to to get me back right and kind of it settling in that like 
this is going to be something that you're going to be dealing with for a while. So let's start figuring out a path because at the time, you know, I, I didn't care if I lived or died, man. I was, I was ready to go. I was just, uh, I think a lot of that had to do with, um, my, just my emotion regulation really being off, right? I was very, very emotional and very dramatic and, um, just really, uh, kind of angry and a lot of, at a lot of things. And yeah, I was in a, I was in a bad, bad, bad place. How is it affecting your social life? And I'm talking like wife and things like that, because yeah. you can see the degradation going, it's happening slowly, but it's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I felt it was weird cause I felt shameful. I felt, um, didn't want people to see me. I didn't want people to hear me talk. Right. I didn't want people to, um, see this version of Mac because I had always worked really hard to be like, I'd be as squared away as I could be ready to go, be the go-to guy. And when, you know, guys at the time after I had that, you know, that, the really bad mini stroke, you know, I was talking like, like, you know, I couldn't put a coherent sentence together. And so I was just shameful. I wasn't social. You know, that's the thing. I just, I freaking hid. Um, I just would, you know, I was, I was just at Balboa hospital every day. Um, and yeah, it was, all this was taking a toll on, on personal relationship. Um, and for me, it's just like, I fell off the face of the earth from everybody that knew me because I was just like, I had this, you know, I was embarrassed with who I was, you know? Um, and looking back, I didn't really, it was out of my control. Right. But still it's like, you just, you, you just want to be kind of the guy that everybody knows. Right. With your wife, with your teammates, with kind of everyone that's in your life, you know, you said you're shameful that you hide from them. And and thinking back on it, was there support there? I mean, were they giving you support and you just didn't see it? Or was there not support? How, how was that working out? Because I, I think that it's clouded when you're on the ground, but now that you're at 30,000 feet, does it look different? Yeah, there was... Um definitely definitely the support there but it was a lot of from a medical side it was a lot of pills um a lot of my teammates i think i always tried to project this i don't i mean i never need help i never need this like i'm good to go man like i'm doing what i need to do to make sure that i'm squared away and guys at the time were were trying to probably help me and I just was so, I just, the condition that I was in, I was just trying, I didn't, you know, I was hiding from the world, man. And I was, I was real. I just wanted to check out and go to the other side. How bad does it get? It gets, it gets pretty bad. It gets, uh, pretty, pretty bad. Um, you know, it's just to where. Yeah, you're, yeah, not in a good spot and you're definitely um, contemplating if you want to live or die, right? And if this fight that you have, 
moving forward is even worth it. Um, and it's just like, I don't know if it's like attack from, you know, the devil or the evil or whatever, but you almost get into this place where you're like, well, it would probably be better if I wasn't around, right? It would probably be, it would be easier on my family, you know, or my, my wife at the time or this, if I wasn't, you know, and, um, if I, if I wasn't around. So you, you find yourself contemplating that. And then next thing you know, you're, if you're honest about those things, right, you're, you know, here's another pill, here's another pill, here's another pill. And it got to the point where it was like so bad that I was like, probably going to end up killing myself. And, um, somebody, this is where another big mentor comes into my life who had experienced the same kind of things. And he was doing some alternative work, uh, with different plant medicines and, um, he administered that to me, uh, and I'll just say I went from wanting to not live anymore to now I found gratitude for life again, right? I, um, this experience that I had, it was so powerful and it taught me so much that, you know, it wasn't like this, uh, silver bullet thing like we've talked about, but it got me 20 yards down the field, right? It, um, but it was a big reason for why I believe, um, you know, I'm still here to this day. And, um, so that guy, I owe a lot to, and he's a great man and he's helping a lot of people, a lot of veterans. 2020, you're medically retired. There's a couple things that I want to talk about there. The day you're told that you're going to have to retire, I want to hear your, what you're thinking that day. When you hear the news, you're going to have to retire. Yeah. Um, just, just, uh, feel like, you know, if I, on that day, it was like a lot, of, it, it's hard to put into words, you know, what, when you work that hard to one, get to that level, you know, to, uh, and then to build a good reputation, right? We have a saying that reputation is your currency in NSW, right? And, um, you works it's so hard to build a good reputation amongst the warrior community and when you get that um news you're you just feel kind of like man like i it, you know everything because it dude it was everything that i <clears throat> cared about and everything that i was uh it was my family and it still is none of that stuff it's kind of crazy at the time you think like oh it's all over this but like it sucks not to be able there, you know, uh, shooting guns next to my buddies and going into the house with them and doing those things. Um, I miss it every day. I miss them every day. And it's just a group of amazing, amazing men and humans and doing good things. And so you still have those relationships when you're done, right? It's not that stuff doesn't go away, but it was, it was rough news. Um, I was hoping that eventually over time, I could kind of recover and, and go back to my, to my, you know, do that job again. And, um, you know, high likelihood just because of the fact of like the, the findings and the images and the, in the conditions that I have now, right. It's, it's probably not going to happen. And so for me, um, 
I just went deeper into that bad place right after that day. I just kept on kind of spiraling. All right. So the day you leave the service, how are you feeling that day? Because we've talked about the day that you're given the news that you have to leave the service. So the day you leave the service, what are you feeling? Yeah. So, um, you're on like terminal leave at that point, right? You just like kind of figuring out. And, um, I was, I was still in full, uh, I was still in rehab, right? I was still every day going to doctor's appointments every day, talking with neurologists every day, you know, um, doing all those things. So it didn't really kind of, now it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, the paychecks are stopping, right? That's, you know, getting a medical retirement is not the only reason they give that to you is so that you can continue to get medical treatment, right? It, but um, so now it's, you know, you got to figure out what you're going to, where you're going to live and what you're going to, you know, you can't afford to live in Southern California on, on that. So, you know, I, I wasn't in the condition probably to try to go get a job. So, but I didn't have a choice, right? I started, um, you know, I freaking interviewing for jobs. Why at the same time I was, um, still going to, to, to rehab for these different things. And I, uh, we'd moved back to a support network here in Tampa, Florida. And just cause of, you know, I, uh, you know, it was so bad. I, you know, I, you know, I, um, yeah, so we had to move where we had some support. So we moved over here and then, man, it was COVID-19 was going on and you couldn't get a job and nobody was hiring and, I was still having issues and, you know, I just, uh, yeah, but I had a, you know, I had a family that had to try to support. And so I was like, all right, boom. It's like, let's do it. Let's figure out a way. Let's get it done. And, um, so yeah, that, that's that, that new chapter of your life hits you pretty hard and pretty quick, especially when you're not planning for it. Right. I didn't have a place to live. You know, I was, um, living in a trailer at the time I was using, um, the extra funds because we had, uh, downsized into that trailer. I was using the extra money that I had to do things that were medical procedures that I was paying for out of my pocket. I did, you know, stellate ganglion blocks, intrathecal muscle injections. I was doing, you know, every, all kinds of stuff that they said, Hey, this could help you. And it's expensive, right? So, um, yeah, moved my, my family to a trailer. And so that's what, so we got the news that, Hey, you're done. So it was like, all right, we're going to our, to our, uh, where our support network is. With that, you, you, you've said that you have feelings of failure throughout this. When you aren't expecting this, you go back there to the support center, you're, you move into the trailer. Are those feelings getting stronger and stronger now? Yeah. I mean, this, this was just, um, it was, it was even more disheartening just because it, you know, the economic situation at the time was pretty hard, right? It was, um, you know, you have to go get a job. And at this time, at this point, like nobody's, uh, nobody's, nobody's really hiring, right? It's so, you know, you have the, you have a family, you have your injuries, you got your service and like, you know, you weren't, you weren't ready to tran. I wasn't ready to transition. Um, you know, I didn't have much money. Uh, and 
I just, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't planning well and I was just felt like I could just continual continually was making mistakes. And, you know, you get to the point where it's like, man, no matter what, it's like, nobody's going to be there, you know, to help you. <laughs> and that's what I've kind of learned. Um, in it maybe being a man that's you know I'm, I'm you know I'm a young guy I'm still learning a lot every day but it's like it's all on you brother man nobody's coming to help save you nobody's coming to help you you need to just figure out a way and get it done right uh, and so that's kind of the mentality I adopted moving forward with everything that happens uh, you eventually like you said you eventually get a divorce that it gets bad you um you leave, you spend some time on your own, but you've always kind of got this idea that you're ready to go at this company, right? So you've almost, you know, necessity is the mother of ingenuity. And so you go through all these bad things, but you know where you're headed. So let's talk about how you get the idea, how you kind of rise up out of this and, you know, where you're coming to this. Because at one point you were spending a lot of time out on your own in the mountains and stuff like that. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So for me, I just needed, I just needed to check out of everything going on. I needed to take a, you know, take a, take a step back because everything had just like exploded in my face. Right. Uh, you know, in a very short time, I, my career was over you know, my health was, uh, was seriously challenged. I had just gone through a nasty divorce and I lost my house and I lost, pretty much every dollar I ever had in that. And, you know, I lost custody of my, my kid and all the things that in, in service and injuries were, were kind of used to paint me as a bad guy. And so it was rough, man. So I, I, I took a step back. I, you know, I, and I, I have a really great psychologist I've been working with for the last couple of years who was like, or like probably last year and a half, who was like, you know, you need to go, whatever it is that you think at this point is going to make you happy, you need to do that. Um, don't worry about anybody else right now but you, because I was in still in such a bad place contemplating if I wanted to, you know, continue on with, with life, right? And so I went up to Montana, <laughs> this little mountain town, and I found a really great community there. One guy, his name's Chase Crone. He is kind of like my big brother, and he just I just kind of decompressed out there, right? I literally, I just kind of decompressed and then um, started uh, started kind of this idea, right? I, I had started, I had tried to start a couple businesses um, and for some reason I've just kind of always naturally been an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial minded person. I think a lot of a lot of team guys and people in the military, some are that way because it's there's so many different things that you got going on and uh, you have to wear multiple hats and there's always a fire to put out. And so I finally came up with this business where I was making dog collars and it was under the brand called Delta Canis. And we did that for, I did that for a while. And then one of my buddies, who was in, he's in the team still. He's like, Hey man, can you make me a belt? I was like, yeah, sure. I can make you a belt. And I ended up uh, putting the belt on the website. And, you know, in that day I made, you know, I, let's say for example, I sold 15 units. Right. And so I was like, man, that's a big deal for a guy like me. It looks like I'm going to have to become a belt company. Uh, but 
the weird thing, and I kind of brushed over some things, but how I got started, which is a really cool story, was I didn't have much money. You know, I bought a website on Shopify. It's these like these e-commerce platforms. It was like 24 bucks. So I got that. And then I was in Goodwill and I was looking for a really nice dog collar or I was at I was at PetSmart or whatever. I couldn't find a nice dog collar. And then I went to I was like, you know, why don't I just make my own? So I was like, you know, and then I got this other weird creative idea to go to uh, go to Goodwill and I would buy all the old belts from Goodwill. Like I would go to every Goodwill in a two mile radius and I'd buy these old belts from the people there for like 50 cents. And I would buy as many nice quality leather belts that they had. And then I would take them to my house. I would clean them really good. I would chop them, you know, to a dog collar length. I'd put buckles and stuff on them. And then I would repurpose. And then I would donate whatever I sold. I would donate 50% back to the military charities that helped me, right? Uh, America's Mighty Warriors being one of them. And um, and that's kind of how I got my footprint. So I was like, holy crap, I can go buy these belts for a dollar I can put some put some some effort and some some time into them and then I can sell them for more money and I can make a profit I'm like holy smokes that's like pretty cool when you do that though and you build the belt you you see the company kind of going in a completely different direction because I think at first like you said you were thinking about the dog the the dog collars and things like that but as the belt takes off you've got 50 bucks uh a dream and you got a buddy that wants to lend you his garage yeah so uh i started working in that garage i didn't have money for any fancy tables or anything like that um i literally just went around the house that he had or that we had and stacked them up stacked the cinder blocks up put some two by fours together literally like 550 quarter them with some breacher knots that I knew. And that was my workplace. And I just started pounding away. And for me, like if anybody, you know, there's certain skills and crafts that you can do that kind of like help take your mind off things. And, you know, for me, you know, I tried woodworking, woodworking, just the noise of the, in, the, the, the saws and stuff gets me like real jacked up because it, you know, when we're breaching, we're doing a lot of that stuff. But leatherworking is nice because it's quiet um, and you're just using your hands and it's very focused. And if you make mistakes, it's a great hobby because it's not hard to just start over. Right. If you can. uh, So it was this a very it was a very forgiving uh, craft. And uh, so, yeah, so I started just just start just grinding away, grinding, 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 grinding like seven days a week, like 18 hours a day going to it got you know it got to the point where i was like okay i gotta stop going to goodwill and i gotta figure out how to buy leather and and get those belts that get get those uh those things strapped out and uh so yeah and it was like when you start a a business it's just it it'll start as one thing and it'll change kind of so much you know it's you're just gonna adapt based on the market and you know, and that's kind of like being a being in the military, being in special operations. You always have to kind of adapt to whatever's going on. So that's kind of how my business has slowly just I've adapted to what the demands of the market are. What's that point where you see it changing? Because there wasn't there was an honest, you know, break in the point where 
you look at all that stuff in the past and that career that you wanted so bad that was pulled away from you and stuff. And then this company just kind of explodes. You start making partnerships and all kinds of stuff. And people are talking about your belt at what point, or do you remember a certain point where you're like, yeah, this is it. I, I was down, but now I'm back up. Yeah. You know, I, um, it's cool to, uh, it's just nice to be able to, to, to provide people with something useful again, you know, that for me feeling like, you know, in the teams I could, I could, my, my product was my performance, right. And with business, it can be, or with me as somebody who's kind of like a crafts glorified craftsman, right. It's, uh, I can make somebody something that is super strong, super heavy, super durable. It's got, it's made from, you know, American made materials and it's not going to break on you because it was made by somebody who is a professional breaker of all things. You know, I've engineered these things to be, I've engineered these things to be unbreakable. And so, you know, it was kind of that point when I knew my buddies were taking my products into war, right. And, or into, uh, uh, overseas. And, and, and it was becoming this brand where like, this is a really great product because it's made by Mac and this is, you know, and so that's kind of where, when you, to answer your question, where I got to that point where I was like, I may got some, I may have something here. Right. And, and then once you get that, you know, cause you're, you're grinding, you're grinding, you're grinding, you feel like you get some traction. But I mean, with growing a business, there's no, there's no home runs in the beginning. It's just hard work and, and finding good mentors and, uh, giving back when you can, you know, for me, I felt like it's weird when you give, you get back. And, um, you know, that's been something that I've seen with my business. Do you think, and I know it sounds kind of crazy, but do you think with these belts and them going back into combat zones and on soldiers, do you think a piece of you is back there where you wanted to be? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, uh, um, one of the things that's so awesome because for, for a long time, I guess I was like, I really kind of lived in bitterness, right? I was just bitter about how things didn't go the way that I, that I planned. And once you get over that, for me, once I got over that, it was like, okay, how can I contribute, right? How can I contribute to what my, my buddies and my brothers are doing? And I was like, I want to make something they can take with them, right? I want to make something that they can rely on and it's kind of crazy because for me when i was in the teams i loved my leather belt man it was like my leather belt my leather gun belt was like just reminded me of home it was leather it had the great leather scent it was just you know and so that was for me just making uh making something for my buddies and something that they literally thought was awesome right because team guys will tell you if something sucks <laughs> be like this is stupid <laughs> So, all right, Bush. let's go through everything that you're making right now. Let's talk about all the different kinds of belts that you're making first. Then let's talk about the hat that you just introduced that is completely badass. And let's talk about the notebooks, all that kind of stuff, how this business is just blowing up in, you know, wave after wave of new product. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, it's about, 
whenever whenever the business has kind of had and mo most entrepreneurs will be this way but whenever there's like a lull right where you have extra time then you take that extra i probably should get better let's take that extra time and go like organize something or take care of yourself i'm like nope let's come up with a new product let's do this let's do that let's constantly be innovating let's constantly be giving our customers and our people something something new something useful right and kind of creating that uh that whole brand concept that you know people can come to mac belts for you know if they want to get a custom belt made for their unit or if they want to get a journal cover for their mom and they want to personalize it with something and that that's been my biggest thing was how do i take my brand and my company and what i'm trying to do but how do i make the product that you're buying how do i make it personable to you right how do i make it meaningful to you whether that's with you know your 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 brand or you know or, or your team or your, your you know your whatever right so yeah we're just constantly trying to put new stuff out daily uh just to give people you know more options and for me the creative side of uh, that is like the real therapeutic part, right? I, I hate having to make me and a couple people make, you know, a hundred, hundred belts in a week. It's just like, you know, it's assembly line kind of stuff. We can do that. But where I really, you know, where I really enjoy is when somebody comes to me and was like, Hey, my husband was killed in Afghanistan. Um, I would like to get a belt, custom belt made in honor of him, right? And I would like to have, you know, his initials and his saying, and I would like to do this stitch pattern with this color. So, you know, it's weird. Like, those are the, those are the projects that I really, really love doing, right? Just because it's, you just get to make something for somebody. And when it's in the memory or in, the, in honor of a hero, it's like, dude, that's just amazing. All right. Let's talk about the belt lines because there's a couple different belt lines. So if you can explain each one and, and kind of what you're doing with them. Yeah. So, uh, man, we got a lot. So we got uh, a couple different partnerships that we do. So uh, for, for Eddie Gallagher, uh, the man who needs no introduction, we make a lot of his products for him. So he's got his Seek Battle brand in his FAFO uh, belt line. And so... Um, yeah, we make those for him. Uh, Mike O'Dowd, who runs Defense Strategies Group, uh, we're making um, the the belts for him as well. We got some some partnerships with Vet TV and all that. But um, the different collections and everything are really just uh, you know, it's just kind of my creative just thing of like, hey, how can we come up with a a newer new new product? Whether they need a nice dress belt or the guys are looking for something that has, they want to wear it with a suit or if they want to, uh, heavy duty gun belt, or, you know, it's really just, uh, you know, or if you're on a budget, right. And, you know, so let's say you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're a tradesman, right. You're a welder, you're a plumber, you're that, you know, we have, you know, we have that, you know, more affordable belt. That's going to be the toughest belt you've ever owned. It's also going to be at a great price point, but, um, you know, you're going to be able to get it dirty and not feel guilty about it, right? It, because it's going to really last you. And um, so we've got, you know, I've got it every every type style of belt you could imagine. And if you don't find a belt um, on our website that you like, you can always build your own, right? We have a custom build feature 
Uh, we have a custom canine dog collar feature. Um, and then we're going to launch some other different weird creative things that I can come up with, right? So whether it's hats or whatever. Let's talk about uh, rattlesnake and alligator because there, there's not a lot of people doing those, but you kind of take pride in making those belts. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the coolest thing about uh, our alligator belts is that we get all of our alligators here from trapped in Florida. So uh, Levy County is a guy that supplies our skins for us. And um, it's really just kind of like that whole concept of, you know, we take, you know, the lifestyle of a hunter and we uh, we put that in. Uh, not only do we uh, buy the purchasing of those skins and those wild Western Texas diamondbacks, uh, you know, we're, we're species conservation is one of the things when you buy those skins you pay a premium on that um, but really it was like a lot of the belt companies out there that are doing these exotic belts the belts are really fragile and so for me it's like being the, t the team guy kind of break everything that i can i'm like okay well how can we take these belts that are normally fragile and how do we how do we make them to be unbreakable right so that's been a learning experience. You know, rattlesnake skin is very fragile to, to use, um, but we definitely sell a lot of those. And then the gator skins, we just sent a bunch to uh, um, a bunch of guys too. So yeah, man, we just, we want to give people whatever kind of skin option they can, they can come up with, man. <laughs> you can get it to me. I'll make a belt for you. <laughs> You know. I don't know if you want to put that out there that any kind of skin option because you might end up with some crazy ones. Uh, still wait, still waiting for someone to say we. I got some human skin. For yeah, you, bro. yeah. So <laughs> I'm like, send it on over. <laughs> so the holsters, uh, we had talked about that before. You hadn't really started making them, but then you decided you're going to go with them. Um, and the holsters are absolutely beautiful. Uh, what made you go over into them? Because, you know, when we talked for a while, you were like, ah, I'm, I'm going to stick to the belts for a while. And yeah, you know, it really came down to the fact that, you know, you know, with inflation and everything going on, the, the way kind of the state of the economy and I, you know, but, you know, it, it's for small businesses right now, it's a hard time. And, you know, we were seeing a little bit of sales redu reduction and with sales reduction comes extra free time and extra free time comes, okay, well, if, 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 if the register is not going cha-ching, you better, you better come up with something new, right? Because that's how you're going to survive. So, um, you know, you def yeah, you definitely had kind of like put that seed in my mind about making holsters. And I was like, okay, you know, every anybody can go on, you know, Amazon and they can get a 50 $50, you know, concealed carry holster, but I'm like, how do we make something that's totally awesome? And how do we make something that is affordable? And so I was looking at a lot of the alligator holsters that are out there and some people want some pretty ridiculous amounts of money for them. So I was like, okay, let's make a, let's make a concealed carry holster, alligator, hundred percent American alligator holster, and let's figure out a way to make them. Let's figure out a way to make, sell them for less than you know, 300, 400 bucks. Right. Uh, and so that's kind of what we did. And so for me, it's really about always trying to diversify the product line, you know, um, and just give people something American made, something that's American sourced, 
something that's made by veterans and something that's going to last them for life. Let's talk about where everybody could find you, where they can look you up. Because like I said, you have such a great story. You have great product. Let's, let's put it out there to the people where they can find you, where they can get these belts, where they can get these holsters. And uh, let's kind of wrap up uh, our conversation. Now, after you say that, I got a couple more questions for you, but let's wrap up where people can find you. Okay, great. Yeah. So you uh, DTD listeners can find us at uh, Mac belts, Instagram. So it's M A C K. Uh, underscore b-e-l-t-s and then www.macbelts.com and then we also have a twitter we also have a facebook you got you know we're kind of plugged in anywhere so if you go to your computer and you google mac belts uh we'll we'll pop up there so um, and i'd love to give your listeners a, a some kind of discount code so hey if you're listening to this type in dtd get 15 percent off mac belts when we come back online Awesome. That I, I really appreciate that. So looking back over this entire story that we've talked about, I want to know any regrets and anything that you're glad that happened. Now that you look back on it, now that you have wisdom of the ages, what do you look back on? What do you regret? If there are any regrets and what do you, what are you really glad that happened? Yeah. Well, so, you know, I would say my, my regrets would be um, not taking, not, not taking as good of care of myself as I should have. Right. Um, and kind of suffering in silence and how that is good in some places. It's not good in others. Um, the one thing I'm really proud and grateful for is to have been able to stand shoulder to shoulder with some of the best war fighters that this country has, you know, I'm, uh, you know, no matter how it all ended up, man, whatever the story is, I'm always, I'll always be grateful for, for the experiences that I had with, with my brothers overseas and, you know, even in the pipeline and all the craziness that ensues. Um, but yeah, I would, I would definitely take better care of myself. And honestly, I probably would lean on my teammates a little more, right? I would have, I would have probably put my pride aside and, you know, um, kind of been okay to show show a little bit of weakness in in some areas or where I could have asked for help and I didn't um but you know for me I'm still kind of kind of figuring my way out I you know I've only been out about two and a half years I'm still trying to figure out the way forward um and for guys who have transitioned out it's probably especially in the time frame kind of now it's it's a weird time right it's 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 definitely a pretty interesting time in our country it's different it's an interesting time in the state of the economy um but i would encourage all people that uh try to find the attitude of gratitude you know even though it sounds corny even when you know when i was at my worst one of this one of the guy who withdrew through the the seal future foundation he was mentoring me he said on the days you can't wake up and look yourself in the mirror, go volunteer your time, go to the hospital, go to Meals on Wheels, go volunteer at a homeless shelter. And I did those things and he was right, you know. Um, on those really bad days, I I just tried to find gratitude by, by maybe putting myself in a situation where people had less than what I had and that, you know, I 
I'm grateful to walk and talk. I'm grateful to, to be alive. I'm grateful to live in America. I'm grateful to be able to have, you know, capitalism and have run my own company. So that'd be kind of like my parting, parting words. You know, Mac, I'm, I'm so glad that you came by and told your story. I'm so happy that Wink put us together. And I want to tell you, man, I'm honored and humbled that you're my friend. Uh, I love your story. I love your company. I can't wait until it blows up and everybody in the world knows about it. Guys, I think that's going to be it for the show this week. I want to thank once again, Mac, for coming by, being the first place that he tells his story and his amazing story at that. If you want more of me, you know, you can always find me at Instagram at the DTD underscore podcast. You can find me on Facebook at the DTD podcast, and you can find me on YouTube where all these conversations are in video form at the DTD podcast. Now, don't forget, go by dtdpodcast.net. That's your one-stop shop for the show. It's got the audio form, the video form. It's got pictures of Mac, pictures of the belts, pictures of the brain injuries and things that we were talking about from his career. You'll get a whole new look at what Mac's all about, Plus, you can find every link where you can get him. All you do is tap on it, and it takes you right to where you need to be, whether that's to be to buy the belt, to look at him on Instagram or Twitter, or just hang out and talk to him. Guys, make sure you stop by Police Coffee at policecoffee.com. Now, it's sad to say, but we're under attack. Every day we see someone new bashing police officers, but they're here to change that. Movements leave an impact. If you think or thought Police Coffee was just a coffee brand, you're mistaken. They're showing the men and women in law enforcement that they support them. We're roasting fresh coffee daily, owned and operated by officers. And when you purchase coffee from them, you're making a commitment to growth and expansion. You're choosing to be a lighthouse in the world that desperately needs more light. You are supporting our cause to give back to the families of officers who have fallen in the line of duty. Don't forget them. Policecoffee.com. And when you put in your order, make sure you put DJK10 to get 10% off. Also, don't forget, go to Mac Belts DTD. If you put it in there, it's 15% off your order once they come back online. That's going to be it this week. Mac, I'm glad you stopped by, buddy. I'm so happy that you did. That's Mac. I'm DJ. Catch us on the next show. We'll see you later. Bye.